doorbell rang. And there were three young men on the outside flipped their IDs, Ministry of State Security. And we would like you to get dressed and come with us just to clarify a few questions. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. This is the second part of Ralph Hainel's story of his life in East Germany. In this episode, we hear of Ralph's arrest by the Stasi and subsequent interrogation for 10 months. Ralph describes in some detail the arrest and his early days of imprisonment, and he also details the techniques used to try to make him break and the pressure the Stasi put on his mother. It's an incredible insight into the workings of the Stasi from somebody who was there, and I'm honoured and humbled that Ralph has shared this story with us. We also hear about his court case, and in the following episode we hear about his time in the Stasi prison in Cottbus, which with its dark red brick façade was often referred to as the Red Misery. Now, I could really use your support to help me to continue to produce the podcast. A simple monthly donation via Patreon will really help and you will get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Still not sure? Listen to one of our Patreons tell you why they donated to the podcast. Hi, I'm Sue Norton and I live in Dublin, Ireland. I love Cold War Conversations because it offers a huge variety of recollections and analysis of the Cold War years in a conversational way. It's fascinating to listen back through Cold War conversations and increasingly comprehensive oral history. Interested in helping us? Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. So, back to today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome back Ralph to our Cold War conversation. Late spring 1988, a colleague and I'm presuming this is a work colleague of yours, introduces you to a uh, girl. Hey, Karama, yes. (laughs) So there there were two things happening at this time. Uh, Number one, this uh, girl that um, I accidentally met was introduced to and we he came she came with on a little trip that we did and we seemed to hit it off and we seemed to have a great connection was kind of oh wow what a coincidence and how things happen accidentally it is amazing so we got on very well and this is the time where I started to think, I was already for years considering, I knew I wanted to be in a vest. I wanted to learn at this Wing Chun Kung Fu Academy, which was in a real castle in the West. It was just my live stream. And I knew I'm going to do this one day, even though friends said, get this out of your head. You will never be able to train in this castle. It, you will never get there. It is simply impossible. You might as well try to apply for a flight to the moon. So it's 
pretty much the same chances. So, um, and she also then basically uh, told me that she would be interested in joining if I would find a way to get to the West, if there would be a possibility. And this was just one of my different ideas if we would get a passport and uh, with this passport in Hungary get across the border there was a fast bus from Vienna to Budapest where the Hungarians went as viciously as the East Germans uh, checking at the border and with those express buses when there are only uh, Austrians and West Germans in it and they hold their passport up, there's not much of a control. So I thought, hmm, this might be a cool idea. I had written to somebody in the West from Poland just to be on the safe side. Yeah, and then it... Um, came a day in August of 1988 that I asked, hey, come back tomorrow. And she, oh, no, no, tomorrow I absolutely can't. And I said, oh, a week ago you said you can't, you know. And then the next morning I got up early, I had to go to work, and this is where the doorbell rang. I thought, hmm, before going to work, must have been at seven or so, doorbell rang, and there were three young men on the outside and flipped their IDs, uh, Ministerium für Staatssicherheit, here Ministry of State Security, and we would like you to get rest and come with us just to clarify a few questions. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain wording in German, Klärung eines Sachverhaltes, that sounds, everybody was picked up with this phrase, and I thought at this moment, they are, of course, as always in German history, they come in the morning to get you. I said, oh, I have no idea what this is. And then I was brought there and into the building. And I'm still proud of it. There were four people in the car, the driver, the guy next to the driver, and one to the left and one to the right. And one of them in the hallway opened his jacket and showed me his gun or made me see it and just nodded, so be careful, maybe because of the martial arts stuff. They Because typically you were picked up by two or three people. I was picked up by four, uh, especially my daughter is very proud of it. She said, did, did they think you kung fu their butts or so? He said, yeah, maybe. I don't know what they were thinking. I reckon they did. I reckon they did. <laughs> yeah. I reckon they were worried about what you might do. Yeah, probably. If they have watched just uh, any kung fu movie from the West, they must have had ideas what they think is going to happen. So, yeah, I was brought with four people with guns there. When they came in the door, what was running through your mind at that point? Uh, you're early. You have just gotten up. You have a plan for the day. You're completely caught off guard. Um, I had no idea. Uh, literally, if somebody would say, okay, focus, go back to this moment, what were you thinking? I probably, a blank would come up, an empty, a white space, something. I had no idea. 
that was uh, later I've talked to people in church circles who were familiar with people who were in the resistance, people who uh, were demonstrating against what happened in the South or with the chemical factories in East Germany, environmental issues. They knew already how it happened. I never knew this. I had no connection to this. So I was literally thinking, okay, Secret Service, they want to ask you a question. Uh, and then there was a big, like in the Western, when this, uh, this stuff blows from one side to the left just before the two heroes pull their guns. So this quiet moment where everybody, where nobody moves. This is how I felt. I had no idea. But you, you thought that they were arresting you because of Kung Fu or something else? Not even. I wasn't thinking any of this yet. So and then I came in, and of course, as it is, there's then one sitting in front of you, one is sitting next to you, and one is standing behind you. So this is where we meet. You probably know why you're here today. And I said, I have no idea. Those young men said, you have questions. Oh, yeah. We have many questions, and we know already you have many answers. And a lot we know already. Let us help each other. I thought, okay, I know, don't even know what this is about. So what are your plans the next weeks? I said, well, the next weeks. I said, in two weeks, I'm flying to Prague. I've uh, organized this with my girlfriend. So any plans there? No. So you're not planning to leave the country? I said, what? No. <laughs> no way. Yeah, well, we have other reports already. So have you done anything to plan uh, leaving illegally uh, our country? I said, no. Uh, how would you come? And it went back and forward. Um, and then in between the phone call, somebody picks up the phone. Uh-huh. Then the eyes come up, they look you, they, they lock eyes. Oh, really? Ah, <laughs> that is interesting. Okay, no, 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 no. We have not come to that yet. Re he he did, yeah? Uh, ho, ho, ho. Hmm. Okay, yeah. It, okay, this is so much. I have to listen and put the receiver down. Oi, 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 Mr. Hainer. This has just changed drastically. Oh, before I thought we can still come to a compromise here, but it has turned greatly. Oy, oy, oy. I don't know how this is going to end for you today. And I thought, oh, my gosh, say some things, say anything. As of course, the, they had such interviews, let us call it for now, uh, always those were prepared by psychologists. Uh, how to wear you down because then at one point lunch comes and you think, uh, 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 I'm missing already half of my shift. I actually have to go to work. After work, I have to pick up my laundry from the laundromat and uh, still um, meeting somebody tonight. Oh, yeah, no, no worries. We'll drive you later to work. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then it continues, and then somebody else sits there, and then somebody comes in and whispers anything, and then, okay, it has taken yet another turn. 
okay, uh, hmm, hmm, hmm. looking at the others, you have to come with me. And then looking at me, kind of shaking the head as, as if they say, how could you? How could you to make you feel so guilty? And and then one guy was alone sitting there. And he was, I still remember, he looked very young. He had glasses, a little bit broken in the middle. So the, uh, about over his nose, there was a little bit like a band-aid. Uh, and he had, even though he looked too young, he had white hair. It stood out somehow. And I looked up to the ceiling, looked down. He looked at me. I looked out of the window, looked back, he looked at me. And it was, of course, part of the whole thing because they had the camera on. And from the other room, they were looking at how nervous you get and uh, how you start to twitch and so on. And then they came back and basically one question after another, did you take actions in order to prepare documents to leave the country? No. Did you look out for ways how to leave the country? No. Did And so on. And then somebody came in. Uh, Mr. Hanels, oh, yeah, those, uh, my colleagues here, they have tried to work with you, but it has been decided as of now, we have to declare you, you are here to stay. We have to declare you as being under arrest. I thought, shit, they can't just arrest you. There's nothing even, they have not put anything on the table. They have not even mentioned the stuff that I thought I have done. And so I just got arrested, and then I was overnight in the first cell, and all night long, the lights on. Number one, to weigh you down further, and number two is a so-called suicide watch. And then in the morning, somebody knocked there, and I thought, I'm now for the second day here. Nobody knows where I am. Um, he said, uh, get ready. It's um, outside time, fresh air. And for some strange, twisted reason, I had in my mind I must have seen at one point a movie. I go out and then there is this prison backyard and people with a chain and a ball walk the circle. Hiya, hiya. How long are here? Oh, already 15 years. Something like this. I had this weird laughable <laughs> yeah. image in my head. Then I went out and the prison yard turned out to be yet another cell way oh, uh, on top was plastic so from there some fresh air came in and then there were three cells to the left three to the right and above them was a walkway where a guard with uh, kalashnikov was walking up and down and i stood in there and thought am i waiting now to get into the prison yard or is this the prison yard maybe nine square meters or so of concrete Nothing else, just concrete. And then those um, three, four meter high walls. And I stood there, I thought, okay. Uh, <coughs> and then I just heard the guy from him, quiet down there. I said, jeez, I only <coughs> was clearing my throat. I haven't even said anything. What is happening here? And then I went up and in the afternoon, I had to pack my stuff, the bedding I had. Um, they had already taken everything from me the evening before. So the procedure you have to go through with bent over and open wide and so on. And I was put into another cell. There was already somebody in there. And uh, hello, 
It's it's weird, no? When you for the first time in your life, you are under arrest and then you're in a prison cell and there's somebody else in the same kind of tracksuit out attire as you. And and I, I didn't know what to think of it. And he is since when are you here? He said, uh, I don't know. I think since yesterday. And you, I'm already here for three months. And I said, three months? I don't have that much time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I later had much more time than that. Um, and we started to talk, you tell the story. And then he, for the first time, told me, ah, oh, yeah, the two main lawyers in the country, there is Dr. Fogel, uh, now he's worldwide known, the spy trader, who, which in the Tom Hanks movie, of course, was made famous. Uh, there's this guy, Dr. Fogel, but he has the ear of Honecker, the party and country leader, the party chief. And then there is somebody else who's paid by the West German church, who's also uh, taking care of political prisoners. So you must have one of those two. said, uh, yeah, uh, I do not intend to stay here. Why would I need a lawyer? <laughs> and then for a week, nothing happened. I thought they must get me but this was of course this phase to wear you down so that you're happy the first time you see somebody that you then confess what you did uh, and then I was for the first time taken again and one day in day out sometimes at night uh, did you do this no, no did you do that no and we have information and then he said okay um, we don't seem to have a cooperation I was trying to help you because my word the, the main interrogation officer they were altogether three him the older the father type then the younger, kind of a little bit like a body, but at times really harsh and hard. And then the bureaucratic office type, not bad, not good, who I just have to write down what you tell me. So all three had to wear you down. Then the, the fatherly type, he was saying, okay, we have now, what is it? It's August, let's say August 22nd or so, or 25th. Um, I'm going soon on summer vacation. Then my kid is going to school. Then there's in the fall, the fall break. Uh, yeah, I have other cases I have to work with too. I, I thought I can help you really quickly because we both have together get through this. You are here. I cannot change it. You cannot change it. We have to work together so that there's no other way. He said about when I get other cases, otherwise, um, maybe I can get you out of your cell before Christmas one more time and we can talk. I thought, what? You would let me rot here for months, September, October, November, and maybe in December. And so piece by piece, they say, have you done this? And they say, uh, yep, sure. So they wear you down. But then it happens, those little things said, oh, God, yeah, the, uh, you had this and this for lunch today. Geez, that reminds you, oh, the Solyanka soup, you don't like it. What was it? Three years ago? Uh, yeah, you were with this friend here on the way at the Autobahn station and it was a little bit salty and you had them bring the soup back. Ah, yeah, how times fly by. This is where they wanted to really shock you. How can they know something? 
that happened three years ago that there was a soup in some Autobahn highway restaurant that you didn't like and had returned to the kitchen. If they know that, then they must know everything else. And then I had a day where you said, okay, today it's getting really serious. You're, uh, we are adding another paragraph of the crime law that you've done this and this. Now you uh, will also be indicted as a, basically as a spy working as a traitor of the country. Thought shit, what is now going to happen? Now they're adding a spy paragraph that is treason. I am a traitor against the country. I haven't done any of this. And he said, yeah, okay, you have to sign here. I found in my Secret Service file this uh, document that I had to sign that the indictment has been extended now and this new paragraph has been added. I said, I'll send you now back because you soon have coffee time. You get your coffee in your cell. He said, we had in our country until uh, just a short while ago still the death penalty for that. Okay, officially it's taken out of the law books. <sighs> But nobody know you're here. That's one thing. And only because something is not in the law text anymore, it doesn't really mean anything. And uh, you really, uh, the first weeks I still thought I can help you, but now it has reached a level. We will have to talk. I don't know yet what we can do out of yet to save you. So it was basically indirectly threatened with the death penalty, which will do a little bit with you just to uh, yeah, mention this on the sideline. So those were the first experiences. Altogether, the interrogations went on for 10 months. I really appreciate you sharing those details because it does quite graphically describe the, the psychological techniques that the Stasi were using to try and get you to talk. Oh, I've, I've found notes now where it says for, uh, when the team of those interrogation officers, uh, they even were proud. One of them said, I am a trained psychologist. I have a degree as a psychologist. We take our work very serious. And then in one tiny little handwritten paper in my secret file, secret service files, it says his Uh, unyielding willingness to leave for West Germany and the declared will of the parents to stay in the East has to be continued to drive a wedge into the family and to produce through targeted personal operation distrust and uh, basically create uh, loneliness. That was one of the things I found. The fatherly type interrogation officer at one point many months in. Did you know that your account with Amazon can help me get new guests on the show? Just search for Cold War Conversations on Amazon and leave a review for the podcast. Thank you. You get a little bit more brave. 
where I said, you know what, it was a nice day through the, uh, no, that was actually uh, 1989, my birthday. He was so nice. You can see my grin now. On my birthday, the father type interrogation officer had ordered from the Secret Service canteen a real farmer's breakfast with real cutlery on a real porcelain plate. That's how nice he was. That's only on the side one of the sarcastic stories. So he thought it was a really nice gift to give me um, as uh, as it was my 25th birthday, the, the first uh, quarter of a century in a person's life. So this other day, around that time, I said, really, why am I in here? The other stuff uh, that I may be able to use a passport that I didn't have yet, that I may flee via this bus or attempt to flee from Budapest to Vienna, those are things you think. So you're being arrested for a thought, crime. He he was, of course, this. He got angry. No, 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 no. We only arrest people if they have really done something against the communist order and walk towards into the hands of our enemies who are trying um, to take down communism, the real paradise for the people. Uh, said, yeah, okay, uh, but now why am I really here? He said, well, um, it is not forbidden to do martial arts. We just don't like it. And you have, in a very short time, however you did it, created a network of little training groups. And if you want to kill something, you take off the head. And you are the head of those groups. So you are here. He said, that's how easy it is. And this, of course is not found in any of the papers, is not found in the verdict that couldn't be handed out for the safety of the people, uh, done in a court procedure with no people allowed for the safety of the people, uh, where a sentence was um, announced three years and six months uh, to protect the people, a sentence that I have heard already half a year earlier from my interrogation officer. He said, this is up to the judge. But if I would be the judge and given the circumstances, I would, it's just like a lottery tip, but probably say three years and six months and half a year later, that's exactly what I got. <laughs> Can I just ask you a few questions around those those 10 months? When they were describing lots of detail of obviously surveillance or information they were getting, did you suspect who was giving that information? Um, not yet. Not yet. It was typically done in a context that it could have been, let's say, at least two, three, four people. But it was always done that those were significant moments that they're telling you, you were with your body in this pub out for a pint. And when this goal in the soccer game was scored, you said this and this. A moment that then... Uh, like a blinding light comes back into your memory and uh, where you think, shoot, I exactly remember this moment. But there were several people around you so that you under distress after all and that you could not have pinpointed 
who did it, so to say, but they did it and sometimes with years of a distance to just, you were supposed to get this feeling that they're all present permanently, that they know everything and that they're only waiting for you to admit what they know already. So this was the constant game. Really clever and and really chilling with your your cellmate that you mention did you fully trust him at the time uh, half yes in a way i've been asked this i've met him after he got in the evening a little black and white portable tv in it the guards put the tv onto the toilet seat because you had the two beds two stools in there, a table you could pull off the wall, and then a sink, cold water, and a toilet. This was, uh, I don't know, 12 square meters the most. This was your your home. Um, and this I found a little bit strange that we're getting TV. It was just the time of the Olympic Games. And that was still, uh, you, ha you have to find in those times the funny moments. It was, uh, those were the games in Korea. Um, and we then said, okay, when we get out of it, I think when the next games four years later, those were the Barcelona games, I think. So we both had said, uh, when we get out and we make it to the West, because we kind of knew already that most political prisoners are being sold to West Germany because East Germany urgently needed the hard cash, the foreign currency from West Germany. So we will make it at one point. It's just a question of how long. So we said, we are going to meet in Barcelona and we buy tickets. Doesn't matter what it costs. And then came the day where this new paragraph was announced to me doing interrogation. So I came back to the cell and he said, oh, geez, you look like crap. So what happened? And I told him that this guy even talked about the death penalty and that it's now state treason that I'm being accused of. And then he, oh, shoot, uh, which Olympic Games did I say again where we will meet up? <laughs> uh, sorry, I still have to laugh about it in all of that. Even we back then laughed about it. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, I'll go to Barcelona and we meet four years later if this is enough. <laughs> Okay, it's still, it's still a funny story. It was back then, even in that moment, uh, we must have laughed probably a little bit silly. Those are the moments where you think, oh, geez, I, I think I'm about to lose it. Maybe, maybe they will crack me after all. One, one of my questions was, how did you deal with those 10 months mentally? Um, I think... Yeah, looking back after the fact, I think it was the martial arts stuff because I was in the morning doing my exercises with other cellmates. You were in no recognizable order or timing uh, over those ten, 10 months. Uh, you were at the oddest time. Sometimes you were with one together, let's say three days, and they said, bed one pack your things you were never addressed with your name you were called bed one 
or bed two in the cell another tool yet besides not having a radio not having a watch barely ever getting newspapers to completely disconnect you from real life um, uh, together with people so that even there you should in nothing recognize or realize any kind of pattern you're supposed to be stripped so blank and uh, that's what i wanted to say with some they tried to do push-ups and then it was knocked against the door stop it and i did my kung fu exercises and nothing was said one of the really really strange stories um, one day the interrogation officer said so you're okay with your exercises And I was just saying out of the blue, um, yeah, there, there's this one exercise. I have a poster of it at home, and there I don't remember some of the things. I had just started this form. He said, well, maybe we can ask your mother that she can bring that poster. And I thought to me, what? Huh? And really, it did happen. At the next visiting time, a parent can visit uh, you once a month for half an hour. You weren't supposed to speak about the trial. You couldn't speak about the conditions. You couldn't speak about your future plans. So you were sitting there. So, hey, mom, how is uh, stuff? <laughs> um, and she could bring that poster. I Up to this day, I don't know. And my mom told me later that when she was ordered into this interrogation officer, she was told to tell me to maybe I hadn't exercised for a week to take up my exercises again. So I don't know what the plan was, the psychological game I was supposed to do to exercise. And this is, I think, what saved me, That what saved me in the big house later too. Yeah, it sounds like it's all part of their psychological game. But what when you saw your mother that that first time, how many weeks or months was that after you'd been under interrogation? Oh, it, it was quite a few weeks. Um, my mum happened to be in town that time, even though she lived already in East Berlin. And then she went to work. And somebody said, yeah, uh, we don't know. He didn't come to work. And she asked friends, yeah, we saw him last on a weekend. Mm, he's gone. And then somebody else probably told her he may have been picked up. She picked up what? Yeah, probably by the Secret Service. This was typically then in the East, the, the other thing. So they weren't always, as in the movies, with those long trench coats or those long leather uh, uh, coats. Um, somebody had told her, yeah, there was a larder and there were young men, those typical men where everybody knew who it is, who have a blazer on and are still wearing a tie with their jeans or so. Uh, and it looks like he's been picked up. Then my mom went uh, my kids are very proud of their grandmother my mom went to the secret service building and walked right into the front entrance to the first guard and he uh yeah uh, uh are you a civilian something like this and she i want to know if my son is here and he uh, he he was mumbling he didn't know what to make of it he said okay i have to call and then somebody came And was standing, what would give you the impression that my, your son would be here? She said, well, somebody told me they have say, seen a ladder with young men wearing ties and they picked them up and he hasn't been seen since. 
yeah, how come you're even walking into the building? She said, yeah, my son's lost. I want to know where he is, what's happening. And now this guy, probably a higher ranking officer, now he was a little bit dumbfounded because apparently no parent ever has just walked in there and has said, I want to know what's happening with my child. He must be here. So and then she was told, okay, you have to leave the building, go around the corner, and there's a side entrance, come in there. And then she was again asked again and again how she would think, and then she, she was told, yes, he's here. That's all we can see. And then when she returned to Berlin, she was picked up by the East Berlin Secret Service. And this, as you long know, those huge headquarters of the Secret Service in East Berlin. And there she was many times interrogated. And whatever they thought I have done, which was never cleared, not to the end, they always just said, we are watching you, my mother. And if we find out you know anything about what your son has done, or if we find out you are part of it, we will instantly arrest you. For now, you may go. And yeah, she was again and again uh, picked up. And we know it is happening. We have lots of information. We are just waiting. They basically told my mother, we're waiting for you to trip up. We're waiting just for this one mistake. And she had no clue. We both still have no clue until this day. None of it is in my files what they thought is happening. She got from this point on her mail. Uh, the 80s were days. It was a time when you got every day uh, was something in your letterbox. Uh, she got from then on her mail on Fridays. All letters opened. It was supposed to be visible and with a rubber band around it. So what she would have gotten in her mail on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, she, she got all of it on Friday, all of it opened uh, with a rubber band put together so that she knew she's under constant observation. She has described it to me and to my kids. That's chilling. One day, a friend of her, a lady friend, former co-worker of her who was already retired, They wanted to meet up for a birthday and she had sent, uh, because she had been for a short time sick, she had sent a telegram, will come as arranged. And back then with telegrams, you still remember what telegrams are, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of my listeners might not, but you'll have to look it up. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just wanted to put this in. So she had sent this telegram, will meet as arranged. And all she wanted to say, because the telegram was expensive, was, I, I come to the birthday, as we said. But since the other person knew it's a birthday, so why explain it any further? And you wanted to limit the words because the telegram was expensive. But they must have thought, the Secret Service, now it's going down. Now it's happening. She left her home that day, and a guy followed her. Then, um, end of the street before the S-Bahn in Berlin, this guy nodded. She saw it out of the corner of her eye and out of the entrance of a house, two young guys came out and followed her into the S-Bahn. 
five stops further, those two guys stood up, stood at the door. And then at the end of the wagon, another guy went in and only at this moment, those two stepped out. And she was, of course, already had her eyes open. You're... It's like in a Kung Fu movie, your senses, your senses are heightened. So then she made it all the way. The last guy stayed in the S-Bahn. Now another guy was lonely standing at this S-Bahn station, an S-Bahn station like outside of East Berlin an hour later. So where they, they almost fold up the walkways in the evening, so completely dead. So she walked uh, and her lady, the lady friend picked her up and she said, uh, can you just take my arm? I'm feeling a little bit wobbly. They are here. And she what? At this moment, the single guy who had followed her from the S-Bahn, <coughs> at this moment, you heard from a side street, uh, uh, a car horn, and then a car started to roll alongside them on the street, yet another car. So I don't know how many agents... Um, followed her that day to this lady friend and in the evening back uh, there were was flashing of lights uh, somebody lighting a cigarette and then throwing instantly away all kinds of signs this is really like a bad bad spy movie but this is how she was followed I don't know what they were thinking um, have no idea, but this also stands out in her memory too as the example that so much personnel was based on a whatever they thought is going to happen, whatever this scenario that may some agent may have thought up that so much personnel was employed for one person. It's 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 mind boggling. It's absolutely chilling as well that they were trailing your mother like that did your mother ever get her stasi file um yes she did but unfortunately it was pretty much empty there there is yet another dimension to the whole thing there is the possible she got divorced in 1987 and there's the possible involvement of my father, her then husband, in all of it, where we have by now enough little points that you cannot deny, but there's no definite proof. He, before he died, always said, because he thought he can win my mom back after the divorce, in the 90s, he always said, I will take care of you and... Nobody will find anything. And when she applied for her Secret Service file, it was actually empty. So you think that he worked for the Stasi or was a IM? Yes, but in in a capacity where I have not yet found any example to it, who he could have been, what he could have been, in what capacity. So don't know yet. The Secret Service headquarters in Rostock, uh, they had, as in every major city in every province, so to say, they were called Bezirke, so the provinces of East Germany. So every city had their own, their own Secret Service headquarters and their own pre-trial prison where mother visited me. 
she, upon her return to where she lived and worked in East Berlin, were ordered to visit Normannenstraße, and there she was interrogated. So in Rostock, she was the visitor, the mother. In East Berlin, she was the suspicious person that they tried to get a hold of that they, they've tried to find any reason whatsoever. They even told her, when we find anything, you will be instantly arrested. Wow. And this was not a nice experience, especially when you don't know what is happening. Two things I have to kind of move in here at this point. Number one, I had one more moment of where was brave uh, during the my interrogations It must have been after many many months i don't know what was riding me that day where this thought came from the main, main interrogation officer he was typing the protocol and it was painstakingly two finger system so and he walked around the table and at this moment i was whispering i said you don't you cannot truly know who I am, right? Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. You interrogate me here, but I don't think you have any idea who I could be. Or, and at this moment, he turned so white. He stepped back. He then said, yeah, we'll, we'll do the signature later under the interrogation protocol. And he uh, another psychological thing. They took the telephone Uh, every time off the table, they were hiding it under the desk when uh, dialing the internal number um, as if you would have, if you could have done anything inside the Secret Service building, he was dialing 2578. Um, but it was probably part to get you in. And he had me picked up and brought to the cell. And then for several days, he was kind of, he was not the father figure anymore. Uh, it was almost a little bit like fear, as if he thought, what if I am somebody who works for them, who's put under his nose to test him? And strangely enough, at the end of the 10 months of interrogation, he got up, came around the table. He said, tomorrow uh, or no, to, today is your transport. You're going transported to the big prison. And he said, uh, he started to shake my hand. I couldn't even pull my hand back. Uh, he said, I wish you good luck in West Germany because we know one day you will be there. And so all the best for you. We thought, wow, this could be out of a 
again, we had many scenarios where I said it could be a really bad, bad, bad spy movie that he wished me luck for my future life in the West. That was so strange. So that was one thing where I don't know how I came up with this. You don't really know how I am. I, I think I could almost see fear in his eye. So that was the one strange moment. The second was... Uh, in the very beginning, I didn't really know much about how could I get one of those two lawyers who dealt with political prisoners in the East. Uh, they, they threw you an address list onto the table, choose a lawyer. Because on my very first day, on August 16th, 1988, when they declared, when they told me, um, we have decided you're staying here, I said, Okay, now I want to talk to a lawyer. And that was the moment when at that day, August 16th, they were all laughing in that room. And they had tears coming. And uh, they they couldn't really uh, catch themselves. And then in the end, wiping away tears, oh, you have watched too many movies. You probably have watched Madlock. Uh, that is too cute. And that was it. So it took months until I saw a lawyer. So then when I had to choose one, I chose one that I knew from the city. And this guy, when I saw him first, he was in fear. He had probably never been in this building. And then weeks later, I was again uh, brought from the cell by the so-called runner into the neighboring interrogation building. Uh, and they had grim faces, the interrogation officers, and they threw a letter onto the table, read it, and then we want to know what this is about, and really shouting it out. So I had never seen them this angry. They had played those parts, but this was serious. And then I see the address, Professor Dr. Wolfgang Vogel, uh, also admitted at the law courts of law in West Berlin. And it said, Dear Mr. Hanel, and we declare here with our intention to take over your case. Please sign the attached um, lawyer, client, uh, letter, and everything goes from here. I thought, what? The spy trader is taking on my case? Why? How? How does he know I'm here? And then they asked me, how come this lawyer is taking on my case? And at this day, I had to laugh. I said, you know what? I'm in here. I can't get out. How should I know? You're the ones who should know how it, how it happens that he's taking on my case. And Wolfgang Vogel had in every major city in East Germany a man who did the day-to-day -day business. So another lawyer who worked for him, a deputy lawyer, uh, if you uh, want. And uh, this guy, he's known in Rostock even today, he's already dead. He ordered my mother into a known hotel in East Berlin. He came from Rostock and my mother thought it's something about my case. So she met him there at the hotel bar and he said, Professor Dr. Fogel wants to know how come he has been ordered to take over your son's case. Uh, I didn't know, and my mother even less knew. She said, well, you are the lawyers that work with Honecker and everything. I don't know. And I did not think of it. He was still alive for some time. After the fall of the wall, I should have visited Fogel and said, so what do you have in your files? 
who ordered this? Why did you take on my case? I never found out. Maybe the hidden hand of your father there. Um, was was there a trial or were you just sentenced? <laughs> uh, yes, I would call it a mock trial. There was, uh, we were brought in first. Uh, when you know the location, it's even by car, maybe three minutes from the Secret Service building to that court building. But as yet, one other of the psychological warfare of the Secret Service, many people who were imprisoned there didn't know where, where they were within the city. So the van that outside it said something like fresh vegetables or so looked like a delivery van, like a gray East German, yes, gray <laughs> East German delivery van, fresh veggies or fresh fish or something, I forget. And we were driven for about 45 minutes up and down the city uh, until uh, we held, we stopped behind the court building. And then there was a guard with a gun. Then there was a guard with a so-called choke chain around my wrists. And then I was brought into the building in handcuffs, choke chain, gun on the side. And you think, oh, my gosh, if, if I only would have robbed a bank to justify all of this. So, and then uh, the lawyer had told me, um, you can say what you want, but I wouldn't really bother. Hmm, okay, that gives you already an indication of how to value those, the trial, the court proceedings, and then the... Uh, the guy who worked for the state in his speech, he was talking about what a fatherland, fatherland traitor, criminal element I am. Uh, I was basically fed and clothed from the beginning and had all the possibilities to make my life as I want to in the East. And now I have fallen victim to the claws of the inferior, the soon dying capitalist world who have blinded me with their promises of glory. And it was, oh my gosh, this uh, maybe he was somebody who wanted to be an actor or so. It sounded, oh my gosh, this must have been, this must be such a bad person who's being accused there. And then I thought for a moment, wait a minute, this is me. So, and then was the judge sitting there and from the, working population uh, left and right somebody on the side and they were almost falling asleep in between i thought oh well great they're supposed to decide with the judge and then uh, i couldn't do uh, i couldn't say much it was just terribly all the possible scenarios that i had thought of were basically in front of the court um, spoken out as if I would have done them already. And in the audience, there were only a few agents from the Secret Service. And later, much, much later in the 90s and the 2000s, I was told that sometimes younger agents were ordered in there to follow the trial, to uh, pick up things that they still need to learn, and so on. 
but uh, public was excluded and it was basically you are accused of having done this and this. Um, do you confess? No. Okay, here with it is taken uh, in front of the court that you have done it. And then the lawyer said one more time quietly, the only thing you have to say is that without a doubt, regardless how this ends, I want to leave East Germany and I want to live from now on in West Germany. He said that's the only thing you have to say and say that clearly. And this I did. And then I was brought back and I said, so now what? Now we'll come back another day and then they give you the sentence. And that's how it was. And then in the long speech, how terrible and traitor to the country and left the country. And as a martial artist anyway, could have been used on day X by the imperialist forces to strike to destroy all what the communists have done already to free the people of the world. And yeah, I, I have single-handedly almost caused World War Three. That's basically what it <laughs> came down to. So Ian, let me tell you, I was bad. <laughs> what was the actual sentence that, that you had? Was it treason and attempting to flee the Republic? Yes, exactly. Three paragraphs, yeah, basically working as a traitor by having contacted, even contacting the martial arts organization, which was in their opinion seen as an enemy organization, was treason by uh, submitting informations who are not top secret. That alone is a build of the German language, né? if you hear it. So treason by submitting informations which are not top secret. So I don't want to know what would have happened if I would have, so, so to say, submitted informations that are not top secret. And in case you say, so what were those informations? Writing to them, writing their address on the letter and your return address in the East, this was already giving information. This was already treason. You have exposed yourself as a citizen of the German Democratic Republic to the enemy country, enemy territory, the Federal Republic of Germany. Right. Only writing a letter. Incredible. Incredible. Um, during the 10 months of interrogation, did you admit anything? Um, there, there were days when they said, so you, uh, when you for the 20th, the 30th, the 40th time, they say, so you have planned under unclear circumstances to obtain a West German passport and possibly choose to flee via, to flee via this bus to, from Hungary to Austria. At one point you say, yeah, sure. Can I sign? Where can I sign? Because they would not have stopped and they typically did not stop until you signed. And at one point, the lawyer says, uh, get on with it. Otherwise, we cannot sell you to the West. Otherwise, Dr. Fogel cannot put you on the list. You cannot be considered between Honecker and the uh, members of the West German government. So the longer you let this go on here until you have your sentence. We cannot do anything for you. Right. And then you think, oh, 
this is the most modern slave trade. You're supposed to admit, yes, I have done it. Then you get the mock sentence in the mock trial. Then they put you on a list. Then also at different times that you could never see a pattern to it. Then you get sold to the West. The West pays hard currency, 98,000 West German mark in the end for you. And this is how it works. Huh. So I'm basically keeping the communist economy up. I'm one of the little wheels. And that's what it was in the end. It was one huge slave trade. I just can't imagine having to deal with, with that at all. I mean, I, I would have just signed anything um, as, soon as, as soon as they've got me. I'm incredibly um, impressed by... You know the the fact that you you effectively held held out for for ten months there, unbelievable, unbelievable. And we have further information such as videos and links in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now you wouldn't be listening to this podcast without the generous support of our patrons. However, I want to especially thank our Politburo level members who are contributing a generous 30 US dollars a month to keep us on the air. They are Tony Sowards, Sam Hardwick, Nicholas Butter, Jeffrey Jones, Matthew Comstock, Mark Labance, Frederick Esposito, Jack Madwed, and Peter Ryan. Don't forget, if you like one of those Cold War Conversations coasters and help support the show, then head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If you can't wait for the next episode, please visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information